2: on News Radio 680 WPTF.
1: And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner.
2: And I'm Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner.
3: And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour.
1: Well, financial planning is everyone's business, and still for most folks, money matters are just a big puzzle. Folks have questions about planning for retirement, planning for a child's college education. They don't know the difference between financial planning and money management. They want to know a lot these days. They want to know what's a mutual fund, what's a limited partnership, what's a REIT, what's a will, what's a living will. And yes, it really can confuse you, but you're not alone. Because in a world crowded with new investments, changing tax laws, rapidly evolving insurance products, and volatile economic cycles, more and more people are looking for clear direction in their financial lives. And yet, unfortunately, the busier and the more successful they are, the less time they have to sort out their financial affairs. And people are asking, is there any solution?
2: Well, yes, Doug, there certainly is a solution. Out of this increasingly complicated financial environment has come a new breed of professionals that are trying to solve people's money puzzles. And that's the Certified Financial Planner.
1: It's the Certified Financial Planner who offers something that people don't get from the traditional stockbroker, money manager, accountant, insurance agent, or bank trust officer. And that's a way to consolidate all aspects of people's financial affairs into one financial plan. It's the Certified Financial Planner who knows how to pull together all six areas of a client's financial life.
2: Doug, I think for many people, the first area of financial planning is cash flow planning, with questions about their emergency fund, their mortgage, their credit cards, and reducing their debt.
1: Well, yes, Linda, and yet for many people, the second area of financial planning is retirement planning. Those who are working want to know how to compute what they'll need to live on during retirement and how much they should be saving for retirement. They want to know what investments they should choose from the choices in their company's 401k plan.
3: If you want to call us during the week to set up an appointment for yourself, give me a call at 919-872-7000, and we will get started. We'll make a list of the questions that are on your mind.
0: Others
1: are retiring and have received a lump sum payout option from their company's retirement plan, and they want to know, should they take it? And if so, how should they invest it?
2: Well, Doug, the third area of financial planning that must be dealt with is estate planning. For most people, over their working years, their estate has grown. How can they reduce their estate taxes? And they wonder, are their simple wills sufficient? Or maybe they should be considering the complicated world of trusts.
1: If that's the third area, Linda, the fourth area of financial planning cannot be overlooked. This is tax planning. People are interested in both tax reduction strategies and tax reduction investments, home mortgage interest, charitable giving, tax shelters, tax-free bonds, questions about capital gains taxes, estate taxes, gift taxes, and how to sell real estate tax-free using trusts. What a
2: confusion. Well, Doug, we can't forget the fifth area of financial planning, which is insurance planning. How much life insurance does a family really need? Do they have too little insurance or maybe too much insurance? Should they have whole life, term, or universal? Should they have long-term nursing care coverage? You're right,
1: Lynn. And, of course, the sixth and most important area of financial planning is investment planning. Here, the questions never stop. What's the best way to diversify my investments? Is now a safe time to invest in stocks? What about bonds? What kind of stock mutual funds? Bond mutual funds? REITs? CDs, gold, annuities.
2: So Doug, it seems that at last it's time for people to understand that a certified financial planner is really the only one who can tie together all six parts of their financial puzzle.
3: If you'd like further information, call us at 919-872-7000 or go to our website, DougAndLinda.com.
2: That's DougAndLinda.com. Richard has a question about rolling over a payment into an IRA. He's 39, and he's getting a lump sum distribution from his 401k plan. And what he's wondering is, what's his best investment? What's the best vehicle that he he could use at his age? That's
1: all he told you? Just what's the best investment? Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, he I first, guess if he says that, well, let's say, if he didn't need the money now, then he should roll his... Distribution is 401k distribution into an individual retirement account. That's an IRA, of course. And by rolling it over, that's what, that's a tax-free transaction. If he doesn't roll it over, he'll have to pay a 10% tax penalty as well as income tax on the distribution. In other words, let's say he's talking about $60,000 that's accumulated in his 401k he's never paid tax on that money because that was a salary reduction that he took along the way. So if he takes that without rolling it over into an IRA and just takes the money, he'll pay taxes on $60,000, which is about $20,000 of taxes he'll pay, plus he'll pay a 10% penalty because he's under 59. So that's 6000 more. He's going to pay maybe twenty six or $27,000. But if he doesn't need it, then he should roll it over to an IRA. Now, because he has about 20 years before he retires, you said he's only 30 years old or 39? 30, 39. He's 39 years old. All right, so he's got over 20 years. He's got a little bit over 20 years before retirement. He shouldn't invest too heavily in bonds, in my opinion, or other income oriented investments. He's got that much time. I would have him go ahead and put it in stock mutual funds. And if he happens to be leery of the stock market, maybe he should choose a conservative fund, such as a balanced fund or an equity income fund. Which has a mixture of stocks and bonds in it.
2: Well, Doug, could you distinguish the difference between what a stock mutual fund and what a bond fund is? A bond mutual. Yeah, fund?
1: well, that's I mean, that's pretty easy. A stock fund is a giant pool of stocks. Let's say it's a it's a one billion dollar pool that has maybe a hundred stocks in it, and you put in uh, five hundred dollars or five thousand dollars or fifty thousand dollars or as much or as little as you want, and you have a pro rata piece of all 100 or 200 or 500 stocks that are in that billion-dollar mutual fund. So you've got a pro rata share of all those stocks, and the average price of, you, of, of all the stocks is computed at the end of each day's closing, and that's called the net asset value, and you have your share of all of them, of the average of all of them. And a mutual fund of bonds could be a billion-dollar fund and it's also got a whole bunch of pieces of paper in it, just like the other one had a whole bunch of pieces of paper. The only difference is the first pool, its pieces of paper were stocks. Right. Second pool, its pieces of paper are bonds and bonds are guaranteed income producing investments. Those are loans. They're IOUs. So there may be, uh, let's say a hundred bonds in a bond mutual fund. Well, each bond, maybe there's an, uh, each bond is an IOU Linda. So let's say uh, you've got a, a bond from IBM. Well, it's an IOU from IBM, and mm-hmm. IBM will go ahead and pay interest back to the mutual fund, which owns that bond, just like all the other 100 bonds in there. And then the the manager of that fund, he'll go ahead and decide which bond he doesn't like, and he'll sell it out and buy in another one. But all the time, he's got a whole bunch of these IOUs in the fund, and they're all bringing in interest, and you, again, you put in anywhere from $500, a thousand, ten thousand, twenty thousand. 10000 20000 or whatever, and you have a pro rata piece of all of those IOUs. Just like in the stock funds, you had a pro rata piece of all of the stocks. Well,
2: that sounds good. Thanks for explaining that. You got that? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd like any other information, call me at the office, and that's here in Raleigh at 919 That's USA 7000. Let's take another call, Doug.
1: All right, Keith, this is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner. How can I help you this evening?
4: Yes, good afternoon, sir. Under what circumstances may one withdraw from their IRA? I understand there's educational purposes, health problems, and or if you're planning to buy a residence. I would like to buy another home in another state staying over one-half year in that particular state.
1: What's your income, Keith?
4: Oh, half a million.
1: All right, you've got a half-million-dollar income coming in. In and your expenses, I'm sure, are less than a half million a year, much less. Yes, then, uh, what is the how much is in your IRA? Oh, probably
4: about uh, 300,000, 400,000, something of that nature.
1: Unless you retired from another company and you rolled over that old retirement plan into an IRA, correct? Is that what happened? Yes, sir. Okay, then you have a rollover IRA. What you're remembering is that there are ways that you can go ahead. And, re- and remove money from a retirement plan and not pay the 10% penalty tax. But this money has never been taxed, and the IRS will get its tax. The additional 10% penalty sometimes can be applied. Mm-hmm. Now, you could get this money out because you're over 50, and we could do it in a series of systematic payments, but no matter how you get it out, you're going to pay tax on it. Okay. To take it out and pay tax on it now, I don't think that's the way that I would advise you.
2: Hey, Keith, have you ever ever worked with a financial planner?
4: I did work with one at uh, one time, and there's Uh good and there's bad. And I received your portfolio initially, and obviously uh, Mr. Lewis uh, has tremendous credentials regarding fame. Uh, It's just that I want to give you a call and ask you a question over the phone.
2: And we appreciate your calling. So, you know, if we can be of any further assistance to you, just give us a call.
4: Okay. In the meantime, have a pleasant evening. All right.
2: Thank you, Keith. To any of our other listeners, if you have a question or if you would like to receive our introductory packet of information, I'll be happy to send it to you. Our number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That is USA 7000. If you have some financial planning concerns or questions about your situation, get a notebook and start jotting down some of those questions and work with a financial planner.
1: You know, Lynn, uh, one of the things that... uh, that Keith is remembering, and it's really interesting, the, the, the rules that happen on retirement plans and how to get around, or how to, I shouldn't say get around them, how to maximize the rules. Keith's question was not one that a lot of people have, but a lot of people want to know, is there a way to avoid the 10% penalty tax? And yes, there is a way to avoid the 10% penalty. Now, you cannot avoid the income tax when you take the money out, because that money has never been taxed. But that extra 10%, which on taking out you know, a significant amount is significant, right. can be avoided by using one of the very little-known rules called the series of systematic payments. And the series of systematic payments will work. He could actually have set up, if he wanted to get money out, which he doesn't need to, but if he wanted to, he could set it up over a period of nine years and take the same amount out each year for nine years and avoid that 10% penalty.
2: People generally have, um, some people are confused uh, about their retirement plans, particularly if they separate from a company. And, you know, they they feel that now that I'm leaving this company, can I access this money? Or maybe there's the temptation to do so, but they don't always understand that there is a tax, right, Doug, and a penalty. So you're really not getting everything that uh, you thought you were getting, because because Uncle Sam's going to take his portion. Well,
1: it's back to social capital. Social capital is the part of your wealth that's not yours. It's destined for society. Learning how to control your social capital is the crucial distinguishing feature.
2: Our number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. In the last several weeks, I've gotten a number of calls from people that have had some interest in finding out information about setting up a charitable trust. What exactly is a charitable remainder trust? A charitable remainder trust is a tax advantaged
1: irrevocable trust that can provide the client with a lifetime income and immediate tax benefits. That's quite powerful. A lifetime income but immediate tax benefits. The trust principal is ultimately going to be paid to a qualified charity, which will be selected by the client himself. And section 664 of the Internal Revenue Code provides the primary rules that govern charitable remainder trusts.
2: When you say immediate tax benefits, what do you mean by that?
1: You actually get a tax deduction for setting up a charitable remainder trust and funding it now, even though the charity is not going to get its gift until... Maybe 30 or 40 years from now.
2: Okay. Well, does a charitable remainder trust offer other benefits as well?
1: Yes, it does, Lynn. Since the charitable remainder trust is an irrevocable trust, that means it can't be changed. The principal is not subject to probate or federal estate taxes in most cases or creditor claims. So it's a way of reducing the estate taxes and also a way of bypassing probate.
2: What type of client could benefit from a charitable remainder trust?
1: Well, Lynn, a charitable remainder trust can benefit an awful lot of different types of clients for different benefits. But the first one that comes to mind is the client who has highly appreciated assets who would like to increase their income, reduce their taxes, and are charitably minded or any combination of these three. What's the first thing you think of as a highly appreciated asset, Linda? Real estate? Yeah, highly appreciated is a fancy language for something that's gone up in value since you got it or stocks. So those types of people immediately come to mind. Those with highly appreciated assets who want to increase their income and reduce their taxes and are charitably minded.
2: For those of the folks that own a lot of farmland or inherited large parcels of property, that is one of the ways that they can reduce the estate, correct?
1: There's a big problem. It's called land rich, cash poor. A lot of folks are that way. And for folks that have a lot of land, there's no way for their heirs to pay those taxes after they die. They're prime candidates for charitable remainder trust.
2: Well, how soon will a charitable remainder trust generate income once it's established?
1: Actually, Lynn, a charitable trust can generate income almost immediately. We've had a number of clients this past year who want income to start right after they set up their trust. And so they start getting their trust to pay them income right away and then it can continue on a monthly basis or quarterly basis for years and years and years or until the client dies, however he sets it up.
2: Once it's set up, can the income pass to the children or to others?
1: Yes and no, Lynn. The income, first of all, can pass to the children. A charitable remainder trust can provide income for the client's life plus a term of years, but the IRS says that it can't be more than 20 years. So if you plan to set up a charitable trust and then you die the next year, you can set it up in such a way that the next 20 years of income will pass to your children. But you can't go beyond 20 years for the next generation.
3: If you need help, call me, Deborah Lewis, 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000.
2: How is the income that is generated by a trust taxed?
1: Well, Lynn... This is one of the most complicated things about charitable trust. It's what we call the four-tier accounting. The income that's earned by the trust and is paid to you is paid out, first, what's called ordinary income. Second, it's called capital gains income. Third, it's tax-free income. And fourth, it's return of principal. But the most common payments are plain old ordinary income, and you are taxed on them at ordinary income rates.
2: Well, how is the tax deduction calculated?
1: This is really unique, Lynn, because if you think of it, let's say you've got something. You've got a, a thing, piece of real estate or a stock portfolio that you want to go ahead and give to a trust to one day go to a charity. The IRS formula is used to determine the future value of a present gift. The formula takes into account the present value of the gift and the donor's age and the income payment selected. And this criteria determines the value of the gift that's actually received at some time in the future by the designated charity. If you think of it, it's separating the income portion from the principal portion of an asset and agreeing to give away the principal and keep the income and then computing how much principal it's going to be worth when the charity finally gets it 20 or 30, 40 years from now and then reducing that back to present value and taking a tax deduction on that basis. That's very complicated, but it's a beautiful strategy.
2: Once a person sets up a charitable remainder trust, are the contributions to this trust revocable?
1: No, Lynn, they're not. And that's the real thing to recognize here, since the Internal Revenue Service allows the avoidance of capital gains tax. And that's a powerful, powerful thing to say that the IRS will allow the avoidance of capital gains tax. That means you can sell something that you've made a profit on and pay no tax on the profit. But since the IRS allows that and also allows you to get a tax deduction, just like making a gift to a charity today, there must be an irrevocable guarantee that a gift will be received by a charity sometime in the future, and that promise must be irrevocable. So you cannot go ahead and set up a charitable trust, give something to it, get a tax deduction for doing it, and then change your mind and take it back.
2: Can more than one charity be named as a charitable beneficiary of a charitable remainder trust?
1: Absolutely, Lynn. You can set up multiple charities as what they call charitable remaindermen. Believe it or not, you can change your mind and set up a charitable trust for the benefit, let's say, of NC State today. And if you don't like the way the Wolfpack does one year, then you could change it over to another school or change it from one charity to another or one beneficiary to another you can move the charity designations as often as you want over the life of the trustee.
2: So, certainly, uh, people that may be charitably inclined could contribute to their alma mater, to any of the universities or to a favorite charity, and then they would be the beneficiary of the assets in the trust when it ends, right?
1: Yeah, the charity becomes the beneficiary when it ends. But the beautiful part about this trust is, That you, the client who sets it up, you keep all the income for the rest of your life. And even for your wife or your spouse's life. You get the income. You don't have the tax problem. You get a tax deduction for doing it. You can sell stuff within the charitable trust and pay no capital gains tax. You can really design these in a very creative way.
2: And if this sounds familiar to your situation, call the office in Raleigh at 919 872 That's 919-USA-7000. Well, Doug, what assets can be transferred to fund this trust?
1: Well, most any asset that isn't mortgaged. You can't put anything into a charitable trust that has any sort of what they call debt on it. So no mortgages. Anything other than that can be transferred into a charitable trust. There is caution, however... In transferring assets such as real estate and closely held stock. Very often, by the way, Lynn, this is a great thing to do with a small business owner trying to deal with what about the value of his business stock, of his company. You can transfer this in to a charitable trust. But these are all called the real estate, the closely held stock. These are called hard to value assets. And we need to have a lot of care and assistance in transferring hard to value assets into a charitable trust, to get the proper valuation because you're going to go ahead and get a deduction today for the value that you set on this asset that you transfer into the trust. So you want to get a proper appraisal.
2: Well, Doug, can only a portion of a particular asset be transferred into a trust? Believe it or not, Lynn, we can do that also.
1: This can be accomplished with the charitable remainder unit trust, the client can choose to take only a part of their appreciated assets and put that into the trust. Let's say you've got a large piece of property. Matter of fact, we did that with one recently with one client and they had a large tract of land, which their home was on. It was like a farm. And we drew an imaginary line, carving part of it off and put one part of it into the trust and kept the other part out. The other part we, that we kept out, we called the home and the part that we transferred into the trust, we called this the gifted part and was able to avoid all the capital gains tax on the gifted part that we put into the charitable trust. So you can take F. you can do the same thing with business stock, small business owner can put part of his stock in and keep part of his stock out. But then when you put part of an asset into a charitable trust, Lynn, you can at a later time add additional assets into the charitable trust, which will increase the income you're getting from this trust and also increase the amount of your charitable deduction. The charitable trust can really be an excellent vehicle for building retirement income by making annual contributions during a client's high earning years.
2: Can a client be his own trustee?
1: Yeah, Lynn. Very few people realize, and actually, if you were to ask 10 attorneys, probably nine of them would tell you the answer to your question is no, but they're all wrong. Believe it or not, you can be your own trustee. The IRS does not mind. A donor can be his own trustee. However, a donor may want to consider having a co-trustee or a subsequent trustee in the event that they become incapacitated.
2: Well, Doug, why would a person want to be their own trustee?
1: If you set up a trust and you own something and you give it to this trust, let's say it's your real estate, then even if the trust doesn't give it to the charity until after you die, it's the trustee who controls it during your lifetime. So the trustee is the crucial player here. Traditionally, banks, trust companies, and charities served as the trustees to be sure that all elements of the money management and the administration were handled properly. With this arrangement, however, the donor, that's the client, had little or no control over the investment objectives. And they really had no recourse, Lynn, if he or she was dissatisfied with the money management or the administrative services. So the whole key is to be your own trustee so that you control it. And then to sub out, if you will, or hire out an independent administrator to do all the day to day details of tax reporting and so forth. But you be your own trustee. That's the one that I recommend for all clients.
3: You're listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Call to make an appointment with Deborah Lewis, certified financial planner of Lewis Financial Management. Call 919 872 7000 or visit our website, dougandlinda.com.
2: Okay, and are there any ongoing costs with a charitable remainder trust?
1: Well, there are ongoing costs, Lynn. Uh, There's the annual tax filing. It doesn't have to be too high. And there are the asset valuations, which may or may not be required. And then there's the administration cost. But generally, you can think about one-third of 1% is about how much it will cost for the ongoing administration of a charitable trust.
2: Well, Doug, it sounds fantastic as a financial planning tool, How do we summarize the features for different types of people?
1: Well, then, for different people at different times in their lives, a charitable trust can mean a great deal. It can be the difference between taking advantage of all kinds of benefits or just letting them pass by. For example, for one individual, it could mean the ability to build a retirement income supplement that's not restricted by the per year limits. So we could be putting in more than the maximum they can put into Mm -hmm. a retirement plan. That's for that individual looking for retirement income. For the individual, on the other hand, who's at or near retirement, it's a way to convert highly appreciated assets, but still ones that are producing low income. Let's say it's like farmland or stock portfolio. It's a way to convert them to much higher income producing assets without having that principle eroded by paying a capital gains tax. So you can sell something tax-free. Now, for individuals selling highly appreciated stock or real estate or business interest, or any other assets at any time during their life, it means the ability to avoid the capital gains tax and increase the total economic benefit by reinvesting all of the proceeds from the sale, not just the after-tax proceeds. Not only that, for individuals who are interested in avoiding estate taxes, Lynn, it provides a way to reduce the amount of assets in their taxable estate while still retaining the income rights to those assets, and they can therefore improve the benefits that their heirs will receive after they die. And then, lastly, for people who have a desire to maximize their ability to contribute to a favorite charity, it's a way to leverage their charitable contribution. Not everybody is going to have all of these situations occur in their life. But on the other hand, one or two of those will probably happen to most people. So the charitable remainder trust, in my opinion, is one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful financial planning tools that's available today.
2: And if you're listening this evening and you have an estate problem, (laughs) this might be one of the uh, avenues that you can take for reducing the estate, correct, Doug?
1: That's right, Lynn. But
2: isn't it very important that you uh, really research the matter? I know I've gotten some people that have called in at the office that say, well, they went to a seminar about charitable trusts and they want to know about living trusts and should we have one? And I'm all confused.
1: They are confused. (laughs) And,
2: uh, you know... (laughs) I, I sympathize for all those people because, you know, people get taken in by going to seminars and listening to, to this and that, but you really do have to do your, your research and um, and also work with uh, an estate planning expert as well, correct?
1: Well, Alexander Pope never knew about financial planners, but he did say a little learning is a dangerous thing. Taste deep or drink not of the Pyrian spring. Uh, He could have just as easily said, watch out, you can get in trouble. Living trusts have nothing to do with charitable remainder trust. They can confuse you. They have no tax benefits. They're wonderful tools, but that's a very different animal than the charitable trust. And you're right, Linda, people do get very confused.
2: To any of our listeners, if you have a question or if you would like to receive our introductory packet of information, I'll be happy to send it to you. Our number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That is USA 7000. If you have some financial planning concerns or questions about your situation, get a notebook and start jotting down some of those questions and work with a financial planner. Well, Doug, what about in the investment planning arena? Are there any matters that you could bring to our listeners regarding investment planning?
4: Well,
1: investment planning, you know, Linda, in today's complex financial marketplace, mutual funds offer investors a simpler, less expensive, and less time-consuming method of investing in stocks, bonds, government securities, than trading them individually. To understand mutual funds, let's explore six features. First, simplicity. Investors invest in the fund and fund managers invest in the securities. So the first feature is simplicity. A second feature of mutual funds is diversification. By pooling shareholder dollars and spreading them over dozens of securities, the mutual fund can diversify its holdings. A diversified portfolio reduces risk should some investments turn sour and increases the chance of picking up potential winners. It's the old principle of not putting all your eggs in any one basket. So the second feature is diversification. A third feature is choice. A mutual fund investor has more options than ever before. Stock mutual funds, bond mutual funds, government bond mutual funds, tax-free mutual funds, to satisfy all outlooks from the most conservative to the most aggressive. Of course, generally speaking, intelligently assumed risk increases the opportunity for greater return. Mutual fund investors select a fund with an investment objective that most closely matches their own. For example, they may want to maximize their current income or maximize long term growth, or they may want some combination of growth and income. In addition, specialized funds are available. For instance, those that invest only in certain geographic regions of the U.S. or of the world or certain industries like healthcare, technology, or energy. There are even funds that have adopted certain social criteria for people who only want to invest in areas of the economy designed to help humanity. So the third feature of a mutual fund is choice. The fourth feature of a mutual fund is professional management. Once you've selected a mutual fund with your objectives, the investment decisions are made by the fund managers. These professionals decide when to invest the money. Money managers make these decisions based on extensive ongoing economic research into the financial performance of individual companies or individual bonds, taking into account general economic and market trends. After analyzing all this data, the manager chooses investments that best match the fund's objectives. As economic conditions change, the fund may adjust the mix of its investments to adapt a more aggressive or more defensive posture. So the fourth feature is professional management. A fifth feature is flexibility. While some investors prefer to pick a single fund and stick with it for many years, others look for a family of funds, a number of different mutual funds with different objectives all under one roof. In a family of funds, investors can switch from one fund to the other as their objectives change. For example, they might want growth of capital during their early years and then later, at retirement, want income from their fund. In a family of funds, they might have had a growth fund for years and now with a telephone call switch to a government bond fund paying monthly checks. Or they might have an interest in international investing and switch to a fund investing in European companies. So the fifth feature is flexibility. The sixth feature is liquidity. Mutual fund investors can cash in all or part of their shares at any time at that day's price. The fund is always ready to buy back the shares at the net asset value quoted in the daily papers. Basically, mutual funds offer just about something for everyone. Whatever your objectives, safety or income or growth or tax savings, mutual funds probably have something for you. If you've been curious about mutual funds, I hope my comments have helped. Remember, seek competent financial advice, and if you have any financial questions, just give me a call at 872 That's eight seven two seven thousand. And remember, your financial future is at stake. Let's take another caller, Doug. Hi, Bill. This is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner. How can I help you?
5: Hi, Doug. How are you? All right. Good. Uh, Wanted to know if I can take retirement early here. Okay. Uh,
1: First question is, what does your wife say about it? (laughs) That's fine. (laughs) You know, one of the questions I get so often when I got him and her sitting in front of me and they're asking the question, can we do it? Uh, After we go through all the number questions, she says, I'm not sure I could handle him being around the house all day long.
5: (laughs) I, I I heard a story about that, but I've, I've anyway. <laughs> here's the situation. Go ahead. Uh, I would would like to be able to retire uh, uh, on an income of say sixty five thousand before taxes.
1: Okay, how'd uh, you get that number?
5: Well, th- that's what I feel. That's just something I feel that we'd be comfortable with, and okay. and that would be without having a mortgage and without having any other uh, okay. outstanding payment. Our situation is. We've got seven hundred thousand dollars in a portfolio. It's all blue chip. It's uh, very low cost basis, and uh, it it probably yields about two point four percent a year, which isn't much, obviously. Right. We've got a uh, hundred thousand IRA, mm-hmm. and then there's another three hundred thousand in a trust fund, also blue chip that yields about eight thousand a year. That that the principal cannot be touched uh, for another uh, about ten years. Uh, and then, and then the whole thing is ours.
1: The big question that you're facing, of course, is the capital gain on the seven hundred thousand. Yep. I. Uh, you said you've got a low cost basis. Do you know how low it is?
5: Incredibly low. Maybe three hundred thousand on right. a seven hundred thousand portfolio. Okay.
1: So if we're looking at, we're looking at a four hundred thousand dollar capital gain. If you simply go ahead and redesign your investment portfolio. Yep. You're gonna pay one hundred and fifty thousand, one hundred and forty-five thousand dollars in taxes mm-hmm. to move from point A to point B. Yep. How old are you, Bill? Fifty-six. Fifty-six. What's your health like?
5: Uh, excellent. Jog. Excellent. Golf.
1: All, all right. that stuff. How about your wife?
5: She's in excellent health too.
1: All right. Her age? Sixty. Sixty. What's the rest of the assets look like? What's the total estate look like? Uh,
5: probably have uh, two hundred and fifty thousand equity in the home. Uh, Antiques, another couple hundred thousand, you know, maybe another four hundred thousand.
1: All right, so five hundred thousand, five and seven. Future inheritance 12,
5: of probably seventy-five. Thirteen, fourteen, fifteen,
1: sixteen, and this three hundred thousand-dollar trust is going to come into your hands anyway. Yep. All right, so you're looking at about a one point six million-dollar estate. Just exactly the, correct. Yeah. All right, and of course, if things go well, if you have proper money management, this is going to grow. You want to go ahead and get maximum income by redesigning your investment portfolio. But on the other hand, you're faced with an income tax
2: problem. Yep.
3: So take out a pen and paper, write down our number. It's nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. Hold on to that pen and paper, and maybe you'll get some ideas of things you should talk about.
1: All right. The solution is the Section 664 trust. Now, you can set up a Section 664 trust and move the 700000 into this trust and then sell everything in that trust and pay no capital gains tax. Mm-hmm. There are also tax benefits in doing it. One benefit is that you get a tax deduction for doing it in the year that you do it. Yep. Uh, so you could go ahead and keep the entire seven hundred thousand intact and do the IRA. That's eight hundred thousand. And those two eight hundred. Those two could give you. And you need sixty five thousand before or after taxes. Before. Before taxes. Okay. So. Uh, we want eight. We want sixty-five thousand divided by eight hundred thousand. We want. Yes, you can do that. Yes, you could do that today. You could. You could. You could retire today. Now, the trade-off here in doing it today is that you have effectively disinherited your two children of seven hundred thousand dollars if you stop at this point. Yeah. So then, what happens next is you can set up a second trust, a wealth replacement trust. And put a $700,000 life insurance policy in this second trust that will then give the children the 700000 that you deprive them of. That's
5: the premium would be?
1: The premium would be probably negligible. At, really? your, at your age, a second-to-die policy for $700,000 is dirt cheap. Yeah. Not only that, you would have the premium paid by the income from the first trust. Okay. The nice part of the equation is you've also saved all the estate taxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you could work the three pieces all together. They're very complicated. They're wonderful, wonderfully fun to do when you really, I mean, I do lots of these and I really enjoy them because they're, they're fun. You play all the pieces together. You can really get creative because you want to do a couple of things. Number one, you want to make sure that you are your own trustee of this trust.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: Number two, you want to maintain control all the way through the entire process yeah. and you are allowed to do so. Uh, if you can find an independent administrator, now the administrator does the reporting to the Internal Revenue Service to make sure there's no hand, you know, yep. dipping, you know, your hand in the honey pot. Yep. Uh, but you can work these things in such a way that they are uh, the the most. Uh, sophisticated financial planning tool and the most uh, uh, advanced financial planning tool still left to us under current laws. And They've been around since the late 60s. A lot of people don't know much about them.
2: There's one brochure I'd like to send to you if you'd like to call the office. Okay. And it kind of discusses a little bit about this charitable trust strategy, about the 664 trust. Okay. It's a wonderful strategy. It provides uh, some wonderful solutions for people that have a problem like yours. Mm -hmm. And if you'd like that brochure, just give me a call at the office. Okay. Okay, and yes. that number in Raleigh is
5: 872-7000.
2: Okay, that's USA seven thousand. Great. Thanks for your call. Well, thank you very this much. I appreciate it. Okay. Yeah, bye bye. All right, you're listening to Money Matters. That was that was really an enjoyable call. It was, uh...
1: Yeah, uh, because he's got he's got a set of issues there that dovetail into each other, mm-hmm. and um,
2: and usually when folks have uh, wealth or have accumulated wealth or appreciated assets, they run into a real
1: yeah, so dilemma. he's he's right at that midpoint of low wealth where he doesn't have a looming problem. He's not an extremely wealthy person right now today. he's got he's got a comfortable asset of assets at eight hundred thousand, but he's not sitting there at five or seven million. On the other hand, he's young enough that with proper money management, he right. knows that that can grow to be that. On the other hand, the more it grows, the bigger the problem as soon as you flip the page and go to the estate side
3: all right, Doug. Well, what's new in the world of let's see here? Uh, just financial planning, and what kinds of things are available for our listeners?
1: There was a really interesting article in the Wall Street Journal. said it was entitled "Your Advisor Does What for You." <laughs> I okay. thought that, I thought that was cute. Cute but, title, yeah, it was a cute title. It said that financial planners are starting to throw an unusual throw in unusual perks. To win more business, here's how you can get more for your money. I hmm. uh, I thought it was sort of cute because the article really confused financial planners and money managers. Hmm. And so what they were talking about in this article, which they called financial planners, they said things like, well, if you really push your financial planner hard enough, you uh, you might be able to get some help in your home. Some financial planners often wind up with Rolodexes stuffed with numbers of contractors, plumbers, and the like to help clients take better uh, care of their biggest asset, their home. Uh, that's true. Most money managers wouldn't even think like that, but maybe they are thinking like that. But guess what? That's a part of financial planning. That's what we do all the time. You get yeah. involved in people's
3: lives. We and- have been
1: doing that for a Decades now. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, uh, when you're a part of someone's life for decades, that's exactly. These are the right. things that come up in a real
2: person's situation, and sometimes it may be uh, a mortgage broker. How many can, times have we oh, helped right.
1: clients find mortgage brokers? Mm-hmm.
2: Competent, right? Uh, that's <laughs> even right.
1: movers. Mm-hmm. We've helped clients find a mover mm-hmm. that needed to move from one place to another, oh, and, uh, and so forth.
3: Recently, the chauffeur service for a client who was. Uh, uh, sit, uh, considering stopping driving permanently and hiring a service.
1: That's right. So That's these right. are
3: the things that are part of natural progression. Yeah,
1: their children get to be uh, they're in, the, in, the, in the 50s and the 60s, and they're concerned about their parents in their 80s. What about chauffeur services? So these are very normal if you're actually practicing financial planning as we do at Lewis Financial Management. The article made it sound as if, Oh my gosh, if you really push hard, you can find ways b- to uh, get these things out of your financial plan. Are they Are really talking about out of your money manager? And then uh, there was one little remark in there about helping choose a retirement community. Oh,
3: that's a big one for us. Yeah. Several clients, have, um, as they were thinking about where to go or what type of place they might need, they definitely sought the two of you to get advice on how to communicate with the places, both from your own personal experiences but also just a lifetime of being in
2: this business. You've done this for several people. Well usually what happens as as um, individuals or couples are are becoming elderly or maybe one of the spouses may have memory issues, et cetera, and they want to transition from the big home to a smaller place, and so they're going to go out and look at different uh, living communities, right, Doug? Right, and you remember in the one
1: case that I'm thinking of, we got very involved in negotiating uh, a lower contract exactly. because uh, all those things are negotiable. You're uh, right. We found a high, you know, very high quality retirement community for the uh, for our clients, but we felt that we should be involved. The client asked us to, and we helped negotiate a. Uh, A lower contract. So, all those things are there. The only thing that was sort of interesting, I thought, in the article that really grabbed my eye was it said fee only financial planners typically charge a flat 1% annual fee on assets up to a million dollars and three quarters of a percent on assets larger than that. Well, I don't know. Maybe that's what's happening in the money management world. Our fees are far, far, far below that. Maybe one-third of the, of that is our fees. We don't charge anywhere near that, and we are doing total financial planning. So uh, I thought it was a cute article. It totally missed, uh, missed the target when they're talking about us, but there it is. Those services should be part of total financial planning.
2: It's interesting because I guess people are doing a lot of different and interesting things to assist their clients and you know, ways to to retain their clients, but also to assist them through different various stages of life. If you hear something tonight that sounds like
3: your situation, call us, set up an appointment, we can help you. 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000.
2: Well, Doug, you know, pre-retirees are some of the clients that we've been meeting with Many people who are retiring or changing jobs are transferring their accumulated company retirement plan benefits in a lump sum into a rollover IRA account, right?
1: You're absolutely right. And in a sense, this does offer the advantage of further delaying taxation of the funds. And in many cases, it gives the person much more investment and distribution control than under the company retirement plan.
2: But for all the benefits of a rollover IRA, many people are confused or they're misinformed about how best to take their money out later so that they can pay for retirement. Right, Doug?
1: Yeah, and that's really important because as with any type of IRA, distributions from a rollover IRA before you're 59 and a half may be subject not only to federal income tax and state income tax, but a 10% early withdrawal penalty tax.
2: And consequently, most people postpone their IRA distributions often until they're required to begin their minimum distributions at 70 and a half. Right, Doug?
1: Failure to take out at least the minimum at that time can result in a 50% penalty. A lot of people don't know it's a 50% penalty on the additional amount that should have been taken out. Now, you don't have to take out all your IRA funds at once, only a minimum amount each year based on your life expectancy.
2: And such delay is the best choice in many cases since the money has longer to build up tax-deferred in your IRA.
1: Yes, that's true. However, it isn't always the best approach. Some certified financial planners, like myself, recommend that people begin taking the withdrawals sooner because of a number of reasons. first reason is that people in their 60s who have substantial IRA accounts but moderate current income, for them it may be wiser from a tax standpoint to withdraw some of the funds before they reach 70 and a half and have them taxed at a lower federal tax rate. That leaves the funds untouched until the required withdrawal age, which could push the distributions into a higher tax bracket.
2: And the state income taxes can be a factor, too, and it may make sense to take advantage of this tax break as soon as possible. Of course, if you're planning to retire in a state with a lower tax rate, it may make more sense to wait until you've established your new residence before you make your withdrawal. Right, Doug?
1: Yeah, you have to be careful on that, Lynn. Some states will tax your IRA withdrawals even if you've moved away if you funded the IRA while living in that state. And so that's a little tricky issue there.
2: And you can choose to wait until as late as April 1st of the year, following the year that you turn 70 and a half, before you begin your minimum withdrawals. Again, delay would seem the smart investment approach. But be aware that you'll have to make two withdrawals that year, by April 1st for the previous year and a second withdrawal by December 31st for the current year, right?
1: Your IRA withdrawal at age 70 and a half, the first one that you've got to take doesn't have to be done that year. You can wait until the next April 1, but if you do, then you've got to take two withdrawals that year, and those two withdrawals in the same year, again, can push you up into a higher tax bracket, raise the amount of Social Security benefits that are now subject to tax, and kick in the 15% excise tax.
2: And while it's usually advisable to leave your IRA alone until retirement, you may need to withdraw money before age 59 and a half to pay for college tuition or any other major expenses.
1: Yeah, And there is a way to do that. I know a secret little way, Linda, that you can even do that and not pay the 10% penalty. But the whole bottom line of this discussion, Linda, is you really need to work with a professional to understand how to make the most of your rollover IRA distributions. You just need to work with a certified financial planner so that you don't go ahead and miss some benefits given to you.
2: Our number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. And I believe we have another caller.
1: Bobby, this is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner. How can I help you?
6: Yes, Doug. My husband just passed away, and I'm wondering about the life insurance. Is it taxable?
1: The uh, beneficiary Uh proceeds? Uh No. They are not income taxable. Is uh-uh. that what you're asking about on the income right. tax?
6: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm sorry to hear that. Yes, uh, um, our
2: condolences, Bobby. Well, thank you. What
6: happened? Uh, cancer. Oh. The
1: big C. <laughs> oh, wow. Geez. So, how have you been left? Are you are you in in, in all right shape or?
6: Yes, uh, we have a uh, small business, and you know, I'm I'm financially okay. Mm-hmm. Now, my next question on this: Could I take this and put it in mutual funds? Uh, in my children's name, and then if I need the money, you know, the revenue that it, or the income that it draws, could I take this uh, later on down the line myself, and then...
1: Well, let me ask you a couple it. of questions here. Uh, first of all, give me some idea about your own income, about what is your income going to be now, do you know?
6: Uh, about 50000 a year.
1: All right, you'll make about 50000 a year, and how many children do you have?
6: Well, two, and they're grown.
1: All right, two grown children. Right. Okay. Uh, why would you want to put the, in, the, the insurance uh, proceeds in the, ch- in the children's name?
6: Uh, well, I figured if I put it there, then later on, at my time of death, there would not be any problem as transferring it over.
1: All right. Uh, how much is the insurance?
6: Let's see. There'll be about 60000
1: The first question you asked me is can you get access to it if you put it in the kids' names later on? The answer to that question is no, you can't. Okay. Uh, you've made a gift. Uh, The second question is, why would you want to do it? Um, It it doesn't make sense to put things in children's names when you're, uh, how old are you, in your 50s? I'm 55. 55. Well, you may have another three decades to live yourself. Mm -hmm. An awful lot can happen in 30 years. That means that you need to look out for you. If you set up a revocable living trust, that number at the office, by the way, is Nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand, and put all of your assets, including this sixty thousand that you just had, in the name of this revocable living trust. And then at that that what that means is at your death, it would be immediately transferred without any time delay, however you desire desi- desired it to go. Mm-hmm. So the the question of of letting of being able to let it pass to the children easily is immediately solved using the revocable living trust strategy. Mm -hmm. But I would definitely not put anything in the children's names. Okay. In the revocable living trust, you can designate how much will go and what specific investment, if you want, will go to which child. You can say it will not go to a spouse if that child is divorced or going through a divorce. You can make it as restrictive or as permissive as you want. Okay. Needed, yeah okay and those are different trust provisions that you can write into the revocable living trust document mm-hmm. and and yet you control it all during your lifetime which is my main concern.
2: Your children have many more years than you will ever have to accumulate particularly since your husband is no longer with you and and you know and I don't I don't think it's selfish to think that you need to think of yourself first, Bobby um and i'm glad that you know you have enough skill and and probably wisdom in in being able to continue the business since your husband is not with you but consider that and and if you'd like you know to call our office um i'll be happy to give you the number we could send you some information okay that number in raleigh is 9198727000 that's usa7000 so I would, I would write down your questions, and then uh, it might be advantageous for you to work with a planner that can help you, you know, work through all of this. Okay. All right. Thanks for calling. Thank you.
1: Well, that's all the Money Matters we have time for today. So we want to thank all our listeners for joining us. And for any other questions you may have, call my office during the week, and we'll set up an appointment to meet with you personally. That number is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. And we'll be back next week on this same station at the same time. In the meantime, have a great week. And remember, your money matters because your financial future is at stake.